Blog Talk Radio. The following program is brought to you by Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E. Hi, my name's John Carousella, and I'm your host for Convergence on Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E. Convergence is to consciousness as gravity is to the material world. In small amounts, gravity is overwhelmed by every other fundamental force of the universe. But gravity has something nothing else has. It's cumulative. The more matter you collect, the more gravity you get, until it becomes the most powerful force of the material world. I think convergence is like that too. Only in this case, we're working with truth. The more truth we collect, the more convergence we experience. Connections, relationships, resonance of ideas and concepts, science and mysticism. Lately, deep truths just seem to be coming together, even as many of the illusions around us are falling apart. As within, so without. As above, so below. I know I'm feeling it, and I'll bet you are too. For the next 90 minutes, we'll be exploring concepts and topics that in some way or another bring us around to a deeper truth. Join me and my guests for this week's experience of Convergence. Welcome back. This is Convergence, and I'm your host, John Carousella, for our November Convergence Roundtable. And with me, to join me in our topic this morning are my co-hosts, Hi C. Lutmers. Hello. Mildred Lynn McDonald. Hello, John. And Deb Carousella. Morning. And today I want to talk about November. November is such a, a, an interesting month. I think for me, uh, well, I'll share why it's interesting for me, but um, I think generally we often think of November as this month of uh, in betweenness, right? It's not Halloween and it's not Christmas and it's sort of after all the color has fallen from the trees. And so so what is it for? What do we do with it? I have I have a, a ritual that I love to, to give myself to during the month of November. And I was just wondering what what other people do with their Novembers and how it makes them feel. So anybody wanna share what what November means to them? Sure, John, I'll jump in there. I loved your questions about November, and at the end of the day, I find the energy of the month makes me feel one of those rare occasions where I'm, where I'm showing up as balanced. <laughs> <laughs> November makes you feel balanced. Yeah, it makes me feel balanced, yes. And I have a great sense of satisfaction in the month of November because I feel as if the whole year is behind me, which it is, mm-hmm. and I still have enough time to finish up or put in place what I'd like to to start a new cycle for the new year. Nice. Now, being an actual organizer, that usually takes the form of, of organizing things to my heart's delight. And the other thing I wanted to mention about November that it really hit me is that while it is November, in the northern hemisphere, in the southern hemisphere, it's the spring. Mm. 
So it's so it's kind of like yin and yang, and I I believe that's why it taps into the balanced feeling that I enjoy. And the other thing about November is that the, the stone for November is topaz, and it means friendship. Hmm. So I find it's like a handshake, the last part of the year extending a hand to the new year that's just on the horizon. So oh, that's, that's very nice. I like that. And I do have a little poem I found about November, if you're interested. Oh, by all means. I created it myself. (laughs) (laughs) You mean the poem found you. (laughs) I'm teasing, I'm teasing. So this is a poem by Clyde Watson. November comes and November goes with the last red berries and the first white snows. With night coming early and dawn coming late and ice in the bucket and frost by the gate. The fires burn and the kettles sing and the earth sinks to rest until next spring. Well, that's lovely. That's beautiful. Thank, Thank you, you for sharing that, Mildred Lynn. How about you, hi What do you think about and feel about and experience during November? Well, I do see it as kind of that transition time because it seems to be when you are most cognizant of like leaves falling from trees and stuff. So there's a sense that things are starting to fall away, slip away, or begin to be behind you as you begin to look forward to where and what's coming next. Um, I I see it as kind of a period of retreat. And so it very often is the time of year when we go on vacation. Mm -hmm. And it's this sense of getting away from where we're at and being able to go places where a lot of times it's not quite so heavily touristy Yeah. uh, because in the United States it tends to be more of people traveling within the States to bring family together and stuff. So we oftentimes will go elsewhere. (laughs) Um, Do you go to to warmer places or cooler places or where do you go? uh, Well, a lot of times we go to Europe it's not really about warmer places so much as it is just a sense of getting away mm. and then coming back and feeling as if you're kind of ready to hunker down for the, the winter and look forward as you've almost gone away in order to leave things behind by, you know, letting go of stress and things like that. Yeah. And then when you leave where you're traveling to, to come back home, you kind of leave all of that stuff behind. So when you come home, it feels a bit fresh as if what was weighing upon you or all of the stuff that there was going on at home, you kind of stepped away from, it dissipated. So now you come back and it's kind of that fresh feeling like kind of a fresh start. Mm. That hibernation kind of thing because now I hunker down and just do things, you know, around the house or in my life kind of thing. It's not about going out and being overly social. It's just leaving things behind and physically feeling that by traveling during this time in order to come back and feel as if you've also left things elsewhere. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I like that too. Deb, how about you? Um, I 
truly do that when in the beginning when you described November and some sense for many people as an in-betweenness, um, I, I find that I feel very strongly that that's what November is. November is a solitude lull space for me. It's, um, as you say, the fall has already kicked into gear. And by the time we hit November, um, since I, of course, I grew up on the East Coast. And so um, all of my formative memories are really surround the whole season of fall and what it means when the leaves change and fall to the ground. Um, and, and, and even though I'm not in that space geographically anymore, that sense of, of timing still sits inside me. Um, and so all of the beginningness of fall and the obviousness of the change in the season has pretty much occurred by the time November shows up. And it's this quiet period before the hectic um, rush of, of Christmas and the first real true snowfall and the winter season really coming into play. And I like November. I like November because of its quiet because of it it's it's that space in between where in a way i get to feel like i can relax because even though thanksgiving is in november and thanksgiving is a, a very enjoyable um holiday um it happens so late in november that you have a really nice span of almost like vacation as high c said only i sort of take it without going anywhere and um november it's kind of a hard month to kind of really pin down because yes, it has Thanksgiving in there, but it's so easy to overlook, particularly within the the culture that we live in where, you know, mid October, you've already got Christmas stuff in stores and you don't even really think about what is really happening in November unless you, step away and just allow the quietness to be. Yeah, I I think the quietness part is uh it's a shame I think that that November gets overlooked the way it does in our culture because I I see it as this beautiful in between place. Um you know, at, in the Celtic wheel, um Samhain has just happened, right, which is the the death of the year, as Mildred Lynn talked about it in kind of the way she talks about it, it's the end. Uh, and then November is this place, this in-between space, like in the bardo, before you, you know, if you're thinking um, like the cycles of life, it's the, it's the time in between after you've left one life and before you've started the next one, which would happen at uh, winter solstice, right? So there's that little period of composting, I guess, that is November. And for me, I like to spend it, I like to spend November outside. I love being outside, even if it's raining. Walking in the woods with the, uh, with the autumn leaves underfoot and the wet, I feel like I'm being soaked and washed in a really deep way in November when I'm outside. So it's really powerful. It's a powerful cleansing time in the same way I see that you're talking about letting go of a whole bunch of things. Uh, I, I feel it physiologically when I'm outside in the, in the November cold and rain. Does that make me weird? 
<laughs> well, many things make you weird. I'm not sure that that's one of them. <laughs> so, um, so what about thoughts for our listeners about what they might do during November hmm. for their own uh, for their own process of release, relief, rejuvenation, or well, it's not really rejuvenation so much as it is relinquishment, the letting go part. I'd suggest that people, after listening to our thoughts, and I'm sure they have their own thoughts, it's a wonderful opportunity opportunity to learn how to be with November. Because mm. we can truly make November what we want it to be in whatever cycle we want it to be. But when you were talking, John, that's what that's what really came to me. And the other thing that resonated, and maybe it'll resonate with other people, is to actually step outside and go for those walks and take a deep breath and breathe in the nice crisp air, which gets crisper and crisper the further north you go in Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and the further into November you go. Yes, yeah. And the other thing I really enjoy in November is watching the little animals prepare for the winter months. Yeah. I get a great kick out of that. So maybe we can follow their lead. Good, good. I see any thoughts? Well, I had thought of the same word and you had mentioned it as this is kind of the, the compost period. And I think maybe if we can think of what compost is, compost really has to engender patience because once you put things in the compost pile, you simply have to wait and allow them to do what they do. You can't go out tomorrow and think, I'm going to have compost to put on my plants in the garden now. There's a time period that you just have to wait for the process to happen. And I think similar to what Mildred was kind of saying too, this is a time to learn how to just be, how to just sit in quiet, um, to take a little time to retreat and do meditation or creative work or spiritual work, in a sense to process what has happened in the previous year and then to allow that to kind of compost and see what will come from it, but know that it'll take a little time and patience to see what that is. But we have to take that time to sit and be with it, and then to just allow it, rather than to try to force it or push it to happen too quickly. But there won't be anything there of any value if we try to rush the process. Right, right. Deb, thoughts? Um, Hi, and Mildred pretty much covered up. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, it would just be a reiteration. Um, the allowing the quiet of November to to be a friend that's pretty much it yeah i like that allowing the quiet of november to be a friend very good all right well thank you all so much for joining me for this month's convergence roundtable and i hope you will uh listeners will stay with us for the rest of the show we've got a good one coming uh so thanks to my co-hosts deb mildred lynn and high c and we'll be right back thanks guys thanks john john bye have a good one At Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us. 
host a show or be a guest or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable change makers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E, helping you find and shine your inner light. Welcome back. This is Convergence, and I'm your host, John Carasella. Up next, a reprise of my conversation from September of 2012 with Zlata Dolgova. Zlata is a friend and colleague, a master massage therapist, yoga instructor, and teacher of Qigong. Over the last six months or so, I've been receiving instruction from Zlata in yoga and Qigong, and she has brought me to a really powerful awareness of the esoteric aspects of my body and the power of the breath. I wanted to rebroadcast this conversation because as I'm going through the changes that are happening in my life, it is these tools and techniques, yoga and Qigong, as I've learned them from Zlata, that I'm leaning on heavily to help me navigate successfully. In our conversation, Zlata talks through three fundamentals, strength, flexibility, and alignment, and describes how they contribute to a healthy body and a successful walk in the world. Let's listen. Uh, so the, first of all, I would like to start just a couple of words about a very big feeling of discontent that I felt my whole life about myself and about life. And somehow I couldn't put establish the relationships uh, with the people, with myself in the first place. So I wanted to discover what's on the way for me just to have a happy and open life, to live openly. And why yoga? Because whatever I would go in the very beginning, I, would, I wouldn't find the answer. So everything is the same, everything is repetitive. And one day I just accidentally walked in the class in the gym where yoga was, and something about the environment shifted immediately in me. That something was different than any sport, any... Um, any other places, any mental teachings, what I was heard by the time. What was, the, what was that shifted feeling? What was it? It just sparked my attention. I was not storing in myself and constantly thinking in myself, judging and thinking about my problems. That was, I didn't know at that time what it was, but now looking back, I can say that was the first experience of the openness, that you're actually open to the world. I was blessed that my yoga teacher was not just a yoga instructor, as there are many there, but she was a real teacher. And she presented this atmosphere, this energy that actually created the opening inside of me. And how I experienced this opening? That was a feeling of expansion, the feeling of the attention from inside of me going out there. I'm learning and expanding. And I want to be that. I want to grow. I want to expand. I, there was a feeling of that there is something much more here that I ever knew. Mm, okay. So I did my few movements in yoga, the first one, and I was so ashamed of myself that I immediately I moved back on the last row so nobody <laughs> would see me. So, so clumsy and ridiculous my body as I judged myself was. Mm. So, so this is how it began. So in exploring with the yoga more, as my body was lack of flexibility, as I begin to discover that part of my discontent and unhappiness with myself 
was a lot related to the mental view, how I view I view and how I see myself and how I view life. So the first benefit, I began to attend the classes, I began to learn about the teachers and the deep aspects of yoga. So the first comes the physical level. And the first benefit I received from these classes and these experiences was tremendous physical opening. My body began to change the form. But not only that, my body began to change its shape. And it's not about weight or how it looks like. It really began to open up. And that opening in my body would create the different feeling about myself. Not as myself, as I know myself, but feeling inside how I feel about life. And this feeling strongly affected my relationship with people. And that was the cause why I choose to explore the connection. I began to see how I see myself in a limited way and how I project what I see about myself to other people and how actually that impacts my relationship with other people and the work that I do. So you had a a sense of that there was a big difference between the open you that you were experiencing, you know, as you that you were starting to experience as you did yoga and the story of you that you had been carrying around. Yes. And as you did more yoga, you found that but the practice of yoga itself was shifting your perception of yourself. The first yoga started to shift my perception how I feel in my body. And with the practice, it didn't happen on the first day. In my first times, I just enjoyed the physical sense and I feel much easier to move around and I have a more uplifting feelings of life and myself without thinking of myself. It was just a feeling. And eventually, it began to expand and impact the relationship with other people. And I began to see my limitations through yoga practices because I began to explore how the physical affects the mental aspect. Mm. And I began to become aware of the strong judgments. And how did it happen? For example, I do practice of yoga and I open myself. I feel very open. I feel limitless. The feeling I get, oh, I can do anything, whatever, it's all possible and capable. And then I go outside in life right after the class and I get myself into a situation and suddenly I feel collapsed. And I can't neglect or ignore the shift of the feeling that actually encouraged me to look deeper what was why in the yoga I felt so open in completely and suddenly in this situation, what caused my feelings to collapse and become tense again? And that sparked the curiosity I needed to explore. I needed to learn that I knew that's me who is doing it to myself. Mm. So and then I began to see that there is a whole mental part. So thanks for yoga. Yoga allowed me actually Yoga gave me this opportunity to see the mental judgments where I judge myself and limit myself so I don't continue the situation. I wouldn't allow the situation expand because of whatever is limiting, my fears, 
my judgments of myself. And because I had this experience in yoga classes, I was able to see the collapse part. To compare, I could say that before that, living within that, within this collapsing feelings, that's what I believe the reality is. Mm-hmm. That's how yoga creates the opening. So I'm not going to say that I became immediately happy in life, but the first that brought into my attention to see the difference and experience. Mm. That in yoga, in classes, I can achieve that opening, complete opening, that feeling, that ability that I'm capable for many things. I am capable, I'm content, I can expand, I can explore. And suddenly I step in situation and it just shuts down. So in yoga you experience the dis- the dissolving of resistance. Dissolving, yes, that's a very good way and to say it. And then when you it. stepped out of yoga, you experienced all those resistances again. Exactly. And, exactly. that, and so that so naturally, your curiosity is like, why did that happen? Right. Why I cannot prolong and carry this feeling through every moment of my life? What actually makes that experience of opening shut down again? So did you discover the answer? I'm in the process of that. <laughs> but definitely, the more I, de- I go into this direction, the more I discover, the more interesting journey it becomes. It's not any more shocking, miserable, painful experience of seeing myself and judging myself. So my first discovery was a strong connection of yoga as a physical part and the body itself and how the body, the structure of the body, how the physical structure connects and relate to our mental structure. So the last two years I've been traveling, I would, that was my emphasis. How, through the physical movement, the asana, I can bring to the awareness or shine the light into my mental limitations that came with adaptation process in the society. We all have that. How it limits me, how to move beyond that, how to become aware of that first and how to move beyond that, unfold and open myself in a deeper level. So, and how does Qigong relate to this, to this exploration? How does Qigong relate? That's about the awareness. You become aware of your physical body. You begin to breathe. Naturally, with the movement and with the breath, the body begins to relax. And in the moments when the body relaxes, because the mental and the spiritual is connected to the physical, your awareness begins to expand. So if you continue to expand in this movement, the more you breathe, the more the body relaxes. The inner space, and we have the inner space and we have the outer space. I just I want to bring this terminology. The outer space is the space of the object, what we see actually in the physical form. The inner space It's our state of mind, state of being, the feelings or the sensations of the energy about the object. So my awareness of my body begins to expand. And my sensitivity to the outer reality, to the object, also begins to expand. It becomes bigger, sharper. I sense the outer world. So then I come to that state of opening. Let's say there is a situation that I want to work with then I, in that place of expansion and opening through the Qigong movement, I bring as the memory of the situation or the object that creates the tension for me and as an obstacle in my mind. I bring it into my inner space because I have that expansion 
right now with the practice. And if I bring this object into my inner space, I become aware of the tension that caused within my body about, uh, by this object. The object caused a certain tension. It can be another person. It can be situation. It can be my co-workers. It can be any situation. So once I begin to be aware of the tension that can come as a feeling or resistance, I become aware of my judgment about this object. And that I can see that not the object or the person or the situation cause me the collapse and tension, but my judgment about this object caused me to construct and become small and resistant. So then if I continue, I, the first I become aware and I feel it in my body, so I have this object, another person or whatever, and I have the awareness of how it is felt in my body, and I continue my practice of Qigong with the breath, like I can breathe in the area. I'm aware that, okay, I feel the tension in my solar plexus or my chest, the emotion comes with that. Usually, as it was before the practice, I would immediately act out of this emotion, and it would never lead to resolving or success. Never. So what I want to alter, I want to alter my inner space to expand my awareness of that my reaction about the subject. We call it healing also, or we call it letting go. What I do, becoming aware of the tension and my judgments, I... I simply learn to let it go, not to be trapped in it, not to act out of that, but just to be aware of that. Now, the the next step of the physical practice, we call it physical, but it's actually spiritual. But more I continue the practice and keeping this awareness, actually I dissolve the tension in my inner space and it comes to the dissolving the tension in the muscles. In yogi tradition, they call it burning the impurities in the body. That's exactly the sutras. You practice asana, then you practice hard asana, utita trikanasana, or warrior. We know this asana that acquires, that implies the strength in the body. And we use the muscle tension. It's strong asana. But the more we practice one asana for two minutes, for one minute, it becomes meditative. And in this moment, we begin to relax within this asana, keeping the awareness about the tension. Just simply open the body, that becomes to dissolve and transform. The actual transformation happens. And I allow this tension to dissolve. I'm letting go. I'm letting go of the judgment because I see that this is my judgment. This is my limitation. I act out of that. And I see the object that creates the tension within me. So I am creating my reality out of this tension. I work and I let go of the tension. My body begins to change. My mind begins to change. And I don't see this person, this object or this situation as a threat any longer. And that freedom allows me to communicate differently. So my reality changes. Usually it brings so much freedom, interaction, as soon as the fear is gone, that actually the creative part comes out of that. Mm, that's fantastic. So you mentioned strength, the strength of the warrior. That's an example, yes. I've been recently exploring strength as a way of dealing and coping with challenges in life. And, you know, of course, it's fairly obvious that if you're strong, you can endure things. You can you can be present in in discomfort and challenge if you have strength. 
But there's another aspect of coping or of making one's way in the world that I've been recently coming to understand more fully, and that is the the aspect of alignment. Mm-hmm. And I am starting to realize that they, that strength and alignment together are much more powerful than either one alone. Alignment. Yeah. And then I realized yoga is a discipline of strength and alignment. And... You know, on the physical level, it's it's a discipline of strength and alignment. But of course, it's much more than that. So, can you share a little bit more about the two the roles of mm-hmm. those two aspects? Uh, strength and alignment. So that's the first part when we learn yoga art. On the physical level, alignment is necessary because all the joints are connected with each other. If we have misalignment in the hips, it will immediately affect on the shoulders and the neck all this interconnectedness in the physical body. And uh, if we use the hips in an incorrect way, if we don't pay attention, if we are not aware how we position the hip, then it will affect the joints on the knees and the ankles. If we practice, let's say, down a facing dog, um, this simple pose, if we don't know how to position our palm, and palm is a point, a focal point, um, many points that connect to the floor and we press the body so if we don't know how many points are connected and how to distribute the weight and the palm that will affect the wrist and the shoulders so many people and because uh, as you mentioned I yes I'm doing massages and I have many clients who come to me from practices yoga just because they put so much attention into the being strong look good have beautiful muscles and to be attractive for the eyes that they neglect and also, there is another part, the mental part, and I want to to answer the question multidimensionally. The mental part is huge here. We want to be beautiful, we want to look good, we compare. The mental part is because they focus on their purpose about the yoga, why they practice yoga, to look good, to become strong. They don't have awareness, the full awareness expanded on the body. These two two things don't exist together. In the moment you expand your awareness in your body and you want to come to alignment, you don't think about comparing yourself with others. Oh, that's really good. So in the moment we want to expand, then we practice alignment. That means our mind and our awareness is inside of the body. Expand as much as it can go. In yogi tradition they say every cell in the body has its own intelligence. This is how we expand our awareness. So you suggest that alignment is bringing the awareness inside the body. But is not, isn't strength also an internal awareness? You know, when we're, when we're doing a yoga pose or we're in an asana and, and we're exerting ourselves. That's a part of that, but not all of that. It's all, only the part of that. So if I want to be strong, just the feeling of this word, strong, that's a focus. I want my muscles to be strong. Alignment brings much more subtle details that doesn't, don't relate to strength. If I'm focused on strength, I will miss that. Why would I be focused on strength? Because I have some concept in my mind. If I want only, if I focus on, on my body only on the strength, that means because the mind and the physical is connected. I have a priority and limitations in my mind focusing on achieving some goal, for example. That's analogy of the mental to the physical 
strength part. That's very important, but it's not all of that. If I allow my awareness to expand on alignment, what happens? It takes one thing that I notice in classes, in many yoga classes, competition. The minds are competing with each other. Who is stronger? Who, who can more hold the poses? Who does it more cool? As soon as the mind begins to work this way, as soon as it happens in the mind, awareness shuts down. These two don't exist together. So if I shift my attention on more expanding into the each cell in my body, I will know right away I want to adjust my body and I will look less cool as I look than I'm strong because I become aware of much more subtle levels of the joints, of the vertebrates in my spine. And I can see if I go so deep and force myself so much, I actually damage in myself. So in life, the analogy in life of the physical strength, the mental focus. And we have an idea. If I totally focus, I will achieve my goal. I'm so focused on my goal. If I lose my awareness on the subtleties in the body, in the joints, the subtle muscles, the inner bodies, the sensations, that means then, in the, then I go forward to reach my goal. I lose my awareness about the environment and the others. And I, the same as in yoga, I damage myself because I'm so absorbed in being strong. The same I create by achieving my goal in more subtle levels, the causal plane or the mental plane that cause pain to environment. And if I reach my goal by cause of pain of environment, I will never reach my goal. That's a big mistake. And it will be cause that will come back to me one way or another. And I will experience that. That's why how important alignment is. It increases sensitivity that starts in the physical body. And if I'm a serious practitioner, if I practice yoga seriously, if I want to be yoga as a part of my learning of life, I will expand these lessons in yoga in each situation I go through. And then I will know limitations in my mind. Then I will stop blaming others and judging myself. That is a responsibility. That's all how these levels are connected to each other. So in the physical body, and yoga has five body, bodies, they call five koshas. The awareness expands from the physical to the high, highest intelligence, through the astral, emotional, mental, and highest intelligence planes. So alignment in the physical plane uh, gives the health and actually the strengthening the whole system of the body that's in a physical form. Then we have the body properly aligned. The energy flows freer. That's energetical level. Once we have the energy flow free in the body, we have immediately emotional and mental releases letting go happening right away. That's what alignment on yoga practice. And yet, also, this is the teaching how to carry the alignment and the sense of alignment with the situation. Because alignment is possible, then I can feel the body. And then I have a, that receptivity. This is the female part, the yin part that we talked about. So I have the sensitivity that starts with my body. I'm sensitive to my body. I am not, uh, I forgot the word, I'm not observed the idea to look like and have be first in the class. But I am into that sense of expand awareness as far as possible, become aware of my every cell in my body. Then I go 
That's an awareness part. That's a flexibility. That's listening. I'm listening to my body. So in life situation, I'm listening to the environment. That's the in part. Listening. Awareness. Becoming aware. Pause for a moment before I take the next action. And the next movement would be the yang part. And then I stop again and I listen. If in the yoga practice, in the class, in actually asana practice, I move into the asana and then I stop for a moment. I pause. I listen how my body responds. Then I know if I can go forward. I go again. Now I'm aware I reach the limit. With the idea of competing and look good, I would go far beyond this moment and I will damage myself. This is a metaphor for life situation and relationship. That's how multidimensional it is. So I stop and then listen. I feel it. This is a yin part, the feminine part. Then I go stronger forward. This is a masculine part, the movement expanding in the physical. Then I pass again. This is how yin and yang go together. So we embrace in the life situations. I listen to the environment. I'm aware of the other people's responses, of the tree responses, of the sun and the clouds, whatever, animals, of everything what's around me. And I move forward. And I, I listen again, and I move forward. And then I achieve my goal. This is far greater um, achievement if I just go using the strengths and the mm. focus. It's the more, focus is the masculine part. More balanced and more benign in achieving. More yeah. benign that benefit, everyone benefits. Yeah. And that's what why the yoga calls spiritual practice, because spirituals, Part of it is then not you just benefit and you have your goal, but everyone is benefit around you while you're achieving your goal. Mm-hmm. That's the spiritual part of it. So this this is a beautiful teaching that the role of alignment in yoga is a reminder and a discipline and an awakening to sensitivity, receptivity to the environment. That's correct. And so I'm thinking about the divine masculine and divine feminine strength and alignment. Mm-hmm. That strength is is the masculine yes. and alignment is the feminine. Right. And so when we were speaking earlier before we were on the air, you talked about something called the yin point. Yes, and the yin point would be pause, listening, feeling it's a pause before the movement is it possible to be in the yin point at all times or is it is it a goal um, most of the time so the yin is present within the yang so the yin is you then you expand your awareness you pause you sense the moment then the yang the movement forward this is a masculine part then you move forward uh, let's say in the martial art, let's t- take an example of the martial art. The yin part, then the martial artist is standing and he's sensing before the movement happens. Eventually, his yin becomes so powerful that he barely moves. Nobody even sees his movement. So there is a great power in the yin. But yin, it's not just be still and do nothing. That's not yin. It's yin, it's an awareness. And then the active part from the physical activity is moved into the internal part, awareness. That's what yin is. I'm aware of the environment, and I know exactly then the movement 
for the martial art needs to be done. That's the yin part. The movement itself is the yang part. So we are learning to balance both. Mm. And the only way that the martial artist can achieve his success then he is not attached to be the most strongest one. Then he is not attached to the strength. The same in yoga. If I am so much attached to the strong and be the strongest and be the best in the class, I lose the yin part. In a way, as you talk about this being the best or being the strongest, I think the contrast is between being the best or the strongest and being completely myself. That's right. That's the imbalanced. Completely myself in the moment. So in the moment then I let go the idea of strength as something that is the only what brings me to my goal, the only part. If I think like that, if I have this idea in, in mind that strength, that's all what needed, then I lose the yin part and I'm losing myself to be in the present moment. Mm. I yeah. lose the sensitivity and I lose the awareness because I'm absorbed by the idea of strength. Mm-hmm. Strength is necessary. It's very important. You say that healthy spirits in the healthy body and the strong body. The body has to be strong. Never ever would they, that part would be diminished. The only is just a part of what the whole is, what the holistic is, mm. a part of it. So there's a third aspect of yoga that that you touched on in your at the very beginning of our conversation. So we have strength, we have alignment. What role does flexibility play? That's the opening part. The more body becomes open, the flexibility comes right away. And the way to create this flexibility, there is no way to apply strength for that. That actually breaks the body. So the flexibility comes only when the one learns the opening. The analogy of the body opening is the mind open-minded. That's an analogy in how it reflects on the mental side. And how you become more flexible? You simply go into pose. You are aware of how far you can go. And then you begin to relax within the strength. That's how they two come together. So you keep the strong. You extend yourself. That's the masculine part. You extend yourself. And in this part, you are aware. You listen how far you can extend yourself. A little bit beyond the comfort zone. And then you begin to relax. And in this moment of relaxation and letting go of the tension, the flexibility comes that causes the opening in the mind. So, in a way, you rely on your strength to allow yourself to relax. You can say that, but this is one way to say that. Rely on your strength, that means the strength has to develop first. That's how it sounds. That's the energy of the phrase comes. Mm -hmm. If I rely on my strength... But that's not necessary. Yes, it can be this way, but it's not necessary. It can be the other way around as well. You develop flexibility and you rely on the flexibility to create the strength. You can go from either side. They are equal. So it's, so I actually want to explore this. This is important. So if I don't know... So how do I rely on my flexibility to develop my strength? Well, if you're flexible, you can go deeper in the pose. You're not, um, you don't have that back mind to hurt yourself. You're flexible enough so you can focus on the strength. 
if you're flexible, you're, you won't pull your tendons, mm. if we speak of the physical level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we speak of uh, the mental level, it's slightly different. But if you come back to the physical point, like I don't have to be worried that I damage myself. I can pretty freely move my body around and see what strength, what level, what muscles I want to develop and focus on that. That gives it some kind of freedom to move. I'm getting, uh, if I have that kind of flexibility, then it's unlikely that I would get into a situation where I would hurt myself. That's less. Right? It doesn't so, mean it's not going to happen. No, no, right. But, but, I, but so, so the, the metaphor, the analogy to, to the mental would be, if I'm flexible, then there's a good chance that I can explore different different intentions, different focus. That's right. That's without right. without being at risk. Yes. Or with, yes. with being at much lower risk. Much lower risk, yes. But if you don't have strength, that flexibility has its own... Uh, it's like it doesn't have a direction. Strength does a direction to flexibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they both have to come together. For example, it's almost you lose your focus. They don't right. exist without each other. So strength is never, ever less important than flexibility. Mm. Okay, so we have strength, alignment, and flexibility. Yes. And the flexibility is the open-mindedness. Yes, that's analogy of the mental plane. And it's, and it's the opening, and it's an opening or a relaxing in the physical practice? That's what you have to practice if you want to expand. And the same situation, if you want a situation to develop, the true creativity comes with a relaxing mind. That's an analogy of the mental plane. It's and all yoga. It's also yoga. So we just kind of join them together. Yes, you have to relax. And the flexibility in the mental plane kind of brings us back to the beginning, which was the release of judgment. That's a release of judgment, absolutely. Releases of judgment cause the flexibility in the body and creativity. Uh, and the spirit and the mind, the creation comes to that. Judgment creates a tension in the body and a lack of flexibility. This is how these bodies are, how they relate to each other. That's great. Okay, well, we're about out of time. Okay. Um, is there any, any last thought you want to share with our audience? This is endless journey, and in my experience, the more I learn about that, the more expanded I feel and how I can apply and use it in my life from that place. That's what I started sharing my story. Then I was very discontent. This is how I started to explore what else. It has to be something more in life. And it just became an incredible journey. It's never end. It's just more expansion. That's a beautiful part of that practice. Okay. So if folks- Many thanks to Zlata for her excellent insights and powerful work. If you would like to get to know Zlata's work a little bit more and take advantage of her teaching, you can reach her by email at zdolgova at hotmail.com. That's Z-D-O-L-G-O-V-A at hotmail.com. Or by phone at 408-887-7316. We'll be right back.
We hope you're enjoying this broadcast of Firefly Willows L-I-V-E on Blog Talk Radio. For information on Firefly Willows, please explore our website, fireflywillows.com, or like us on Facebook. Welcome back. This is Convergence, and I'm your host, John Carousella. So, last month on Convergence, I shared some thoughts on the phoenix and my experiences locally with the heron, the bird chosen in Egyptian iconography to represent the phoenix. Here in Aptos, where I'm staying, we've seen a gray heron and two black-crowned night herons hanging out in Aptos Creek, which is literally just across the street from the little house we're renting. I only saw the gray heron once, when it flew out from under the bridge I was standing on, practically right under my nose. But the black-crowned night herons, one in mature plumage, the other a juvenile, have been more persistently present. So last month, it was Saturday night before the show, I was putting the show together and I recorded the segment on the phoenix that I shared with you. By the time I had the show wrapped and loaded for Sunday morning, it was around 11 p.m., I wasn't ready to hit the hay right away, and I needed to stretch out. Being just three blocks away, I decided to walk down to the beach. I walked down along the creek, crossed over the creek on the bridge where the gray heron had surprised me, and continued down the path to the ocean. I spent probably about an hour down there, doing qigong and yoga, stretching and inhaling, and filling my body with fresh sea air. I've also been practicing my heat-building exercises because, A, I've always been susceptible to cold. It's something I've noticed over the years. I'm always the person in the group who gets cold first, who starts shivering first, and who needs to get out of the water first. And B, the Pacific Ocean here in Northern California runs about 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Pretty dang cold. And I've been drawn to swim in the ocean since we've moved here, in spite of the temperature. I have a wetsuit, but for some reason I've been guided to leave it on its hanger and venture into the ocean with not much in the way of thermal protection. I've sensed that it's a kind of cleansing, healing, breaking loose kind of therapy, so in spite of my mental protestations, I've been going in. So I've been working on generating sustainable internal heat through breathing techniques since we've moved to the ocean. And it's actually been working pretty well. Anyway, so I was doing my qigong and yoga, and the moon was out. It was nearly a full moon. And the sky had that very special ocean mist fog that allows the moon to glow through in its eerie, enchanting way. Really quite bright and clear, but also blotting out all the stars. After about an hour, I thought it was perhaps time to head home. As I turned to go, something stopped me. I don't want to go home right now, I said out loud to myself. And I turned back towards the ocean and began to walk down the beach towards the mouth of the creek. I approached the mouth of the creek and was fascinated by the erosion of the sand there. A sandy exit into the ocean by a creek leads to some interesting formations. Aptos Creek is typically a lagoon, 
The exit is walled off by a berm of sand most of the time, and the creek water literally seeps through the sand out into the ocean. Except when there's a storm, or when the tides are particularly high, like when there's a full moon. So on the previous night, the night of the actual full moon, the tides had breached the lagoon, and the creek was spilling out into the ocean. And the ocean was spilling back into the creek. Fascinating to watch under the misty moonlight. So I approached the channel where the water was moving in and out, stepping down through several new sculpted layers of sand. I watched the waves push the water in, and gravity lead the water out. The architecture of the beach there was fascinating. And as I watched a wave carry water in, then out, I turned my attention to the ocean. And there, flanking each side of the newly sculpted channel, right at the water's edge, were the herons, adult black-crowned night heron to my right and juvenile to my left. Midnight, full moon, creek and ocean, a new doorway, and harbingers of the phoenix standing as sentinels. Deep magic. Or deep doo-doo, depending on your frame of mind. I wasn't sure which at the time, or maybe I knew it was both. I looked from one heron to the other, then up the creek and back out to the ocean. Obviously, spirit was up to something, and that something seemed to involve me. I shivered, both from cold and from, well, well, fear. I didn't want to screw this up, but I didn't know what to do. I hope they don't want me to go into the water, I said inside my head. What do you want me to do? I said out loud to the ocean, the moon, and the herons, and anybody else who was listening. Do you want me to go into the water? No sooner had I uttered the words than a larger wave, not too large, but just exactly large enough, pushed a sheet of water up the sand, only to stop an inch from my right foot and retreat back into the black ocean. Shit. I said that out loud. So despite the cold and the Saturday night nightlife that was just across the beach and esplanade at the local surf bar, blessedly subdued by this time of year and night, and the bright light of the misty full moon, I walked back to a more secure, dry level of sand and stripped off all my clothes. All the while saying, John, you're crazy. You are one crazy motherfucker. You're nuts. I can't believe you're doing this. And I shivered, both from cold and from fear. And I tried to bless myself somehow and align myself with whatever was coming next and all the while, I'm trying to build heat through my breathing, and the waves are building, and the herons are just standing there, waiting. If you've never approached the ocean at night, you don't know just how scary it is. There's something primal about the giganticness of the deep. You can't see, and you can't know, but what you do know is that there are monsters out there whether it's gigantic waves or sharks or nets that might tangle you and drag you out to sea or riptides or debris 
or poisonous, stinging jellyfish. And it's all blackness. And in this place and time, it was also cold. And I reflected on my observations of the phoenix that I had just recorded. It's not from the flames, but from the ashes that the phoenix rises. Cold, inert, spent. Damn! I walked out. Or, I should say, I retched and writhed my way out, vulnerable and cold in my nakedness. First my feet, then with a wave my lower legs, then up to my knees, and another wave took my thighs, and my groin and waist and buttocks with the next wave, up and back, splashing me and then exposing me and then splashing me again. I literally was gagging, retching from the fear and the cold. And the herons, they stood there and calmly watched me as I passed them, caroming off the waves into the water. <sighs> I knew what was calling me was a full ashes-to-ashes moment, an opportunity for me to fully immerse myself. But I was too cold, too wretched, too scared. I turned around and gagged and stumbled back to my clothing. I brushed as much water off of myself as I could and donned my shirt and boxers, trying desperately to not get the sand from my feet all over my clothes, and I breathed a heating breath with many more levels of urgency. And by the time I had my clothes back on, I was warm again, warm enough to gather my wits about me, assess my situation, and look around. Down at the water's edge, the juvenile heron was gone, and the adult had crossed from the right side to the left side of the creek's mouth. One more chance to finish this thing, here and now, it seemed to be saying. The moon was still there. The foggy mist was still there. My guide was still there. And I was still there. My inner voice said, You can do it. See how fast you got warm again? I looked up the creek, back towards home and warmth and safety. I looked down, back at the ocean and the waves. I took one step forward, trying to convince myself. I could really do this. When would I get another chance? When would fate align so much, so clearly? What kind of failure would I be if I didn't take this opportunity? If I didn't take spirit up on this opportunity? This, this gift? But I couldn't. I just couldn't. I was too scared. All alone there by the ocean, even with all my training and perspective and appreciation for the magic. I can't, I said out loud. I'm just too scared. And with a very humbled ego, I turned away from the ocean and the heron and the blackness and the moon and walked, slunk really, back to my abode. Sometimes we receive invitations from spirit. And it's always a choice. 
I was given an invitation and an opportunity. As I've reflected on it over the past month, I realized that maybe it wasn't a test that I failed, but a gift that I was offered because they felt I was ready for it, and a challenge because they realized maybe I wasn't quite. A stretch goal, as we used to say in high tech. And I received what I could. It's not a failure. It's an acknowledgement that I was almost ready for all of it, and I did take on what I was ready for. That's not a failure. And the spirits that got together to offer me this gift aren't mad or disappointed in me. Not at all. They're delighted that I made it as far as I did, and compassionate towards the part of me that was too scared, too weak, too unready or unsteady for the whole experience. My friends whom I've shared this with all say something similar. Sometimes you have to take a couple of runs at things before you can cross the finish line and claim complete success. Remember Neo in The Matrix when he tries to make that leap across the gap between the skyscrapers? The jump program? Morpheus tells Neo, You have to let it all go, Neo. Fear, doubt, and disbelief. Free your mind. Then he runs and makes the leap. Mouse, his crewmate, is so excited. He wants Neo to make it across on the first try. What if he makes it? Once if I made the first jump. I know, I know. But what if he does? He won't. Come on. Right. No problem. Free my mind. Free my mind. No problem. Right. And of course. Crestfallen, Mouse says. What does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. Everybody falls the first time. Right, friend? I have some more work to do. That's all. That which is right for me will come back to me again in its own time. Meanwhile, I've learned about saying yes and limits and humility. Not bad for midnight, moonlight, a couple of herons, and an ocean. We'll be right back. As promised, we're always thinking of ways to bring you a fresh new perspective. Check out this lineup of our newest shows. The Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist, featuring Firefly Willow's L.I.V.E. favorite, Heisey Lutmers, and his co-host, Charlie Harrington, on the second Tuesday evening each month. A Shamanic Life, hosted by John Carousella, on the first and third Tuesday evenings each month. What's your prescription for balance? With Dr. Glenna Calder, the first Thursday afternoon each month. And Evolve, with Robin White Turtle Lizney, the third Thursday afternoon each month. Introducing our newest show, the second and fourth Saturday mornings each month, From Beyond, with mother-daughter psychic mediums, 
Nadia Shapiro and Dr. Barbara Williams. We're excited. Give us a listen as we continue to create new and entertaining ways for you to shine your inner light. Join us at Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Well, that's our show for November. Hope you enjoyed it. We have so many opportunities to relax into the exploration of our world through communion and communication with the earth and sky, the, the ocean and the moon, the birds and the sand. And we have many opportunities to explore ourselves, too, through the mindful practice of openness and attentiveness to the messages that are waiting to be discovered in our bodies. And don't forget the breath. Everything is accessible through the breath. Go on out there. Swim naked in the ocean under the moonlight. And don't fret if you're a little scared. It's good and humbling for the soul. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Thank you for joining us. This program was brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Caracella. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for A Shamanic Life with John Caracella. Tuesday evening at 8 p.m.